Sealing God's People with your host, Dennis Beard. Our God is a consuming fire. And the fire will be seen in the last of the last days as he literally purges the earth this time, not with water as he did in the days of Noah, but it's reserved by fire against the day of judgment. What it means there is anyone that's not 100% in the true Jesus, the real Jesus will be cut off. And we see that Paul states that in Hebrews 12, that there's a time coming that's going to be far, far greater than what he ever did in the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. No more will they say, blessed be the Lord God that brought up his people out of the land of Egypt. That won't even come into mind because of the last great day work that he will do. It's a work in judgment. And it is righteous judgment of God and all his ways are judgment. We see in Hebrews 12, it gives us insight as to why the Lord will do this. He said uh, there that the Lord hath promised yet once more. He shakes not only the earth, that's what he did in the days of no, in Moses, he shook the earth and he came down and descended on Mount Sinai and it burned with fire. Moses said at the sight, I exceedingly fear and quake. All the Israel stated to Moses, you hear God at his word and get and tell us lest we die. The mountain shook. It was a great earthquake. And all that touched the mountain was thrust through with a dart. There was a voice of a trumpet. The ministry voice of God in the last days will be that same trumpet voice. The trumpet is the voice of the Lord. It's not a cornet. It's not a flute or a harp. It's not a sackbolt, sultry, or dulcimer. That's what the world thinks about this lovey Jesus. Now, God is love, but he's also holy. And without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, holiness is the divine nature of God. He is holy. And we're commanded to be holy because he is holy. In the Constitution of the Kingdom of Heaven, the bylaws, what it means and takes to enter into the Kingdom of Heaven, Jesus stated there in Matthew 5, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in Heaven is perfect. He did not mention the babies, newborn babes, that desire the sincere milk of the word that may grow thereby. He did not mention little children. He did not mention the, the young men, the overcomers. He was talking about full grown, weaned from the milk and a full age body of Christ that have come to the measure of the statue of Jesus Christ and those will be the only ones that will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, there are many that have reached the place of little children, not newborn babes. The newborn babes are born of the water and the spirit, but they're unskillful in the word of righteousness. They don't understand the work of God. And that work is a progressive work to the body of Christ 
coming to the measure of the statue of Jesus Christ in the full glory, and to the full-grown image of Jesus. Many will say, well, we'll understand it in the sweet by and by. But that's not what the Word of God states. Jesus said, be ye holy, even as your Father in heaven is holy. He was in that humble state of being a man, our kinsman redeemer, after making himself of no reputation, laying aside his glory to take on him the form of a servant, even though he's God manifest in the flesh, that wall of partition, that law, parting God, uh, the spirit from all mankind, which uh, Jesus took on a body of flesh and blood as our kinsman redeemer, one of us. So therefore, this Spirit of God that Jesus is, is laid aside in glory that he may work salvation as a man because by one man's disobedience, sin came to the world and death by sin. Therefore, by one man shall my servant make many righteous. As the offenses of one, so also the free gifts is one. A man lost and only a man can redeem us back. They're the ones that have that revelation that Jesus is the Father of glory even when he was praying to the Father in his humble estate, being that of a man, they understand that he is the Father of glory and always has been and always will be God, the Father. We see the little children in 1 John 2, 12-14 that John states, I write unto you little children because you've known the Father. Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake, and you've known the Father. Jesus said, if you had known me, you should have known my Father also, John 8. And they ask, the Pharisees ask, where is your Father? And Jesus stated that. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. You're from beneath, I'm from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. He's stating he is that spirit. Then in John 8, 24, he said, except you believe that I am he, the Father, that Spirit, you shall die in your sins. This they understood not. He spake to them of the Father, still don't understand it today. That's John 8, 13 through 27. John 10, 30, I and my Father are one, one of the same Spirit. He is a blessed and only potentate, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16. In his humiliation, he was a man, one of us, and Adam after the fall. In his glorification, he went back to his former glory. That same Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him both Lord, Jehovah God Almighty, the Father of glory, and Christ, to the glory of the Father. He went to the glory of the Father, not to the glory of the Son. Acts 2.36. Those are little children. Well, you would think that they would certainly make heaven, and be able to enter in, but that's not the case. So straight as the gate and narrow the way to leave the line, few there be that find it. Brought us away, and wide as that gate that leaveth leads to destruction, and many we there go in thereat. That is the dilemma that if we do not press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, we will not have the right to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It takes holiness, and to be a protector of his divine nature. And these are certainly little children because in Matthew 7, 
He says, not all that say unto me, Lord, Lord, will be able to enter in. Well, that's calling him the Lord Jehovah God Almighty. To the glory of the Father. He is the Father manifest in the body of flesh and blood in the days of his flesh and glorified back with the Father's own self in his glory. Glorification. Well, these know that. But Jesus stated a profound truth. Not all that say unto me, Lord, Lord, will be able to enter in. Because you did not do the will of my Father. You didn't do the will of God. Then they begin to profess to Jesus, Lord, we've done many wonderful works in your name. We have prophesied in your name. We've cast out devils in your name. And Jesus said, many will come in my name. There and here, he's saying, will not be able to enter in the kingdom of heaven. Not all, but some. Why? Because he said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity, lawlessness, not being led of the Holy Ghost, not finding the will of God out and hearing the voice of God and in obedience, obeying it. We're not only called to believe on Jesus, but also to suffer for his name's sake, crucifying the flesh with the affections of the lust. But that's not all. He has dealt to every man the measure of faith, of which is a measure of every part compacted together, of which every joint supplies to the defining of itself in love, to do the will of God. So we have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, realizing that it's God that worketh in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We have to find the will of God and do it. Not all are, not all are called to be apostles. Not all are called to be prophets or teachers or workers of miracles. Our governments are helps. But whatever the Lord has called each individual member in particular and ever measure in part, which he compacts together, compacted together so to the point that the devil can't get in. It's compacted together. Of whichever joint supplies, bone to bone. And in that body of Christ, the wicked one touches them not. Only when one leaves the sheepfold and the sheep leaves that fold, can it be devoured. For the devil goeth about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You leave the flock, then it becomes easier to be devoured. And Jesus will still move every way he can to find that lost sheep to get it back in the fold. Even though man sometimes speaking ill-advised words and not in love, considering themselves also speak rash things and judgment, not considering themselves that they also be tempted. They should restore one in a spirit of meekness, considering themselves also. So many have been hurt and have left because the iniquity abounds, the love of many waxes cold. Jesus stated that in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. This is the way it'll, way it'll be in the latter days. Well, certainly we're seeing that now. They're unthankful, unholy, disobedient to parents. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Heady, high-minded, truce-makers. Now, in a form of godliness, denying the power thereof. No fear of God. 
Spirit of God being taught by the precept of man. But they enter into the kingdom of heaven. There is a work, a work of judgment in the last day's judgment. Will the Lord Jesus lay to the line and righteousness to the planet? All God's ways are judgment. And when judgments end the earth, man will learn righteousness. But the newborn babes in Hebrews 5 are unskillful in the word of righteousness. They don't understand it. And when Paul said, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child. But when I became a man, full grown in the Lord Jesus Christ, I put away childish things. A child there, we must grow up into Jesus in all things. That we're not tossed to and fro by everyone of doctrine, because their children can be tossed to and fro, not being established in the doctrine of Christ. And that's the reason that the devil attacks the revelation of Christ, because Christ is the foundation rock of the church. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. There are the ones that know that Jesus is the Father, Their sins are forgiven for his name's sake and yet cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 7. And Jesus stated, it's because you didn't do the will of God. You had the Holy Ghost, you had the Spirit of God, you have Christ in you, leading you, guiding you, but you did not obey it. You didn't do the will. You might have known what the will was, but you didn't do it. So we're all together more earnest heed, lest a singular promise slip any of us that we should seem to come short of entering into his rest. For there remaineth the rest of the people of God. If Jesus had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day. He said the time is coming and now he is. When those that hear the voice of the Son of God shall live. It's progressive. And those ones, the little children, there in the last days will have to have the seal of not just newborn babies, not as little children, not as young men, that the word of God is strong in them and they've overcome the wicked one, but must grow up as fathers. That's a small f. And the fathers there, John states, I write to you fathers because you've known him. That's from the beginning. That's the word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him, was not anything that was made that was made. And those things are revealed to us now. That faith that was once delivered to the saints is the testimony of Jesus, the Spirit of prophecy, that we will understand all things in the words of the book of this prophecy. Eating the little book, eating all of it, not part of it, all of it. So we're not seeing through a glass darkly now. That was in the Pentecostal realm. Now we see through a glass darkly. Have knowledge in part. And, and Paul stated, when that which is perfect is come, that is charity, you've added to your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, patience, godliness, the godlike. Then adding to your godliness, Brotherly kindness, and then to brotherly kindness, charity. Charity is the bond of perfectness. When that which is perfect has come, that is charity. 
not just love, but the love of God based in doing his will, based in the word. Anyone that does not do his will will not enter into that love or charity that will abound one toward another in the body of Christ in the last day. And without reaching that place of charity that Paul gives us the bottom line now about it, faith, hope, and charity. The greatest of these is charity. And he goes on and tells us exactly what charity is. It's not just love. It's a love for God based in doing his will. And we don't do the will. There's no charity. There's no charity. There's no uh, cover for sins. Because charity will cover a multitude of sins. Why? Because it's doing the will of God. And these things will not fail in you. If you do these things, you will not fail. Fail from grace. Because you've added to your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, patience, godliness, brother, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, charity, which is the bond, guarantee of perfectness. And will cover a multitude of sins. And that charity, it rejoices in the truth, seeketh not its own, not puffed up, and vaunteth not itself. It rejoices in the truth. It obeys the truth. And when we receive the present proceeding word of God, man shall live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That is the golden oil from the throne room God of God flowing into the body of Christ in present truth. It's a proceeding word. And the path of the just is as of shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. It's progressive. And we are in that time when it's not seen through a glass darkly in knowledge in part, truth in part. Whether it be knowledge of fail, whether it be tongues, it'll cease. Because when that which is perfect has come, all these things which are in part will be done away with. Then we will know, even as we are known of him. That's charity. Which is not love, many other new transliterations will say love. Well, it's love, but that falls short of the biblical definition of charity. Charity is a love for God, love of God, based in doing his will, not loving in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth, the works that accompany salvation. And Jesus looks for this charity. He looks for these perfect works that accompany salvation. And that's the reason we see in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, Laodicea, the seven churches in Asia, in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, the second, third chapter, that we find the voice of Jesus speaking to the angels to the seven churches, which are the ones uh, that have come to the full-grown measure of statue of Jesus Christ. And he says, the first thing to each of the churches, I know thy works. And then he tells what is uh, essential and critical to be able to go on to the measure of the statue of Jesus Christ and have the apocalyptic sealing in their foreheads as servants of God in Revelation 7. 
And in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, it's for the overcomer. Those are young men. The word of God is strong in them, and they've overcome the wicked one. But there's still a higher level of glory, and that is the fathers. And that's a small f. It's the full-grown statue of Jesus Christ in the inward man of the believer. They are now full-grown. Not the outward man that is perishing, but the inward man that's renewed day by day that has been fed to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ in obedience, which is required. Whosoever we yield our members as servants to obey him or the servants to whom we obey, whether of sin unto death being carnally minded, which is still death, even though that we have the Holy Ghost. Christ in us the hope of glory, but not obeying it. Or of obedience. We've obeyed the leading of the Spirit of God. Obedience unto righteousness, which will yield the peaceable fruits of holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And holiness requires doing the will of God. The specific, specific will of God that he has for every member in the measure of faith given to every part. We see in Ephesians 4. And that for the edifying of itself in love. This charity abounding one toward another edifies the body of Christ, preferring your brother better than your above yourself, seeking not your own, but that which is another's, and loving the brethren, that you're willing to lay down your life for the brethren. And we find that, that Jesus requires that, that love, that love that he said, I have for you, I give you have one toward another. You've been passed from death and life because you love the brother. And that is that in 1 John 3, 16, we perceive, that's how we perceive the love of God because he, God himself, laid down his life for us. Somebody said, well, he can't do it. He's spirit. Well, the spirit took on his own body of flesh and blood. In the volume of the book, it's written to me, I come to do thy will, O God. For a body thou hast prepared me. The me is the spirit of God. Prepared himself a body. You see that in Isaiah 43, 10. Thus saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand, I am he. God is that servant. He is that man. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall be after me. So many are running to and fro, and they're having a glimpse of the work of God. So, well, it's Elijah ministry. There's Elijah ministry coming. It's a restoration ministry. And there's going to be all these apostles and prophets running all over the world and not realizing that it's going to be far greater than anything we've ever seen or imagined. But it is revealed by the Spirit of God. And that are the those are the things of faith, the testimony of Jesus. When uh, John saw that man in Revelation 19.10, he was certain and assured, assured that that certainly was Jesus Christ. If anyone knew Jesus, John the Revelator knew him. And one of the closest beloved disciples of Jesus and he went to this man and was about to worship him. And he said, see, thou doest it not. Don't do it. For I am of thy fellow servants and of thy brethren. I'm one of the church members. Not just one of the church members. I am the body of Christ 
that is in the perfect image of Jesus. Uh, they have grown up into him in all things, in all truth, in all faith. That was once delivered to the saints. That's not just general faith. That is the proceeding word of God in truth with every individual member of the body of Christ, every measure of faith in dealt to every part of the body, coming together, compacted together, whichever joint spots are that finding himself in love, revealing Jesus to the world. A manifestation, an image of Jesus Christ of what we've all been called for. The mystery of God's will from the foundation of the world has been to gather all things together in one in Christ Jesus. Jesus prayed that in John 17 before he went to the cross. Father, make them one. Make the body of Christ, make them one. Even as we are one. As you are in me and I in you, let them be made perfect in one. That where I am, there they may be also and see my glory. Many want to see the glory of God, but very few pay the price for it and crucifying the flesh with affections and the lust. It's easy to say, it's very easy to say, I want to see the glory of God. It's another thing to crucify the flesh with the affections of the lust, where the cares of this world and deceitful riches do not choke the word, where it becomes unfruitful. Or tribulation and persecution arises for the word's sake, and by and by they're offended and walk away. Those that endure hardship as a good soldier, until the end, will be saved. They will have the right to enter in through obedience unto righteousness, unto holiness. These exceedingly great and precious promises are given to us. Not just so we can say, well, thank God we're blessed, but through obedience and obeying them, that he is, God is our heart, our reward. He's our Issachar. He's our buckler. He's our shield. He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And at that coming of the Lord, he will distribute these rewards at his coming to those that have through the spirit of God, not through their own works, not through the works of the law, but by through the faith of God that has been dealt to every measure, every part of the body every measure in part. And the body has to come together and God compacts it. Fitly framed as only God can. Fitly framed together. We see in Ephesians 4. And that is and requires the fullness of the measure of the statue of Jesus Christ for whom he did foreknow them he did predestinate. That's what we're predestinated for. Did him, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those that he predestinated, them he called. Now we know many are called, few chosen. Why? Because they don't continue in faith. By and by, they're offended for one thing or then another and bring forth no fruits unto perfection. God expects perfection. Just like he told the church at Sardis, I have not found your works perfect. Strengthen that which remained. Obey the word of God. Glad to see a church. That's a good one. 
kind of goes to the church that we see in present day. They say, say we're clothed, we're fed, we're increased with goods, we're financially blessed, we have need of nothing. We don't need anything. And God said, knowest thou not you're poor, wretched, naked, blind, and destitute. Talking about a mistaken identity. They thought they were perfectly fine with God. Then he states, I counsel of thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Gold is the glory of God. Well, think it not strange that these fiery trials, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice inasmuch as your protectors of Christ's sufferings and the glory of God rest upon you. That's how you get the glory. Through crucifying the flesh with the affections of the lust. Just as Paul stated, I bring under my body, bring it into subjection. To what? To the Holy Ghost, to the Christ in it. And keep under my body, lest when I preach to others, I myself become a castaway. And Paul stated, even then, who wrote 14 books of the New Testament? He said, I'm not perfect yet, neither have I already attained. <clears throat> but there will be a people that will. He was on a Pentecostal reign. He saw the chair being the work of glory in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, we can't address this. We can't preach this right now. We can't proclamate this or publish it yet. We're not in that final season. That's the reason in Hebrews 9, 5, talking about a worldly sanctuary with a divine service, he talks about the cherubim of glory, shadowing the mercy seat. The cherubim? Yes. Those 10, that 10 cubit colossal olive tree cherubim, which are the two olive trees in Revelation 11, overlaid with gold, 10 cubits high with a wingspan of five cubits on each wing being the two witnesses of Revelation 11. And one wing of one cherubim touches the wall. And what does he touch? Why touch the wall? And the other cherubim touches the wall. But then they touch each other. Now, there's a real revelation there. Why? Because those are the walls of salvation, and it's a higher glory than the sanctuary, the holy place, which is indicative of the church or the Pentecostal church age. They were coming to the tabernacle church age. <laughs> Within the veil and to a higher measure of the statue of Jesus Christ and to perfection. Not Pentecostal having knowledge in part, seeing through a glass darkly, but now within the veil, we all with open face beholding as in that glass, not seeing through that glass darkly, but beholding as that glass, the glory of the Lord, full image of Jesus, that we're changed into the image of Jesus Christ. Those cherubim, Paul said, we can't speak particularly about that now, Hebrews 9, 5. We know it's a day of atonement. We know it's a time of a great work of God and judgment. We know that. But why not be able to speak 
about the cherubim shadowing the mercy seat. Paul said, of which now we cannot speak particularly. We cannot focus on that now and bring it to you. Can't do it. It's not because he ran out of time and Paul wasn't subject to that clock. He would speak uh, there uh, all night long. He would obey the Holy Ghost. And that being uh, that he said, I, I can't speak particularly about it because I'm in the wrong season. I'm in the Pentecostal season. I'm one born out of due time, due season. Yes, he's seen those things, but he cannot proclamate it. Can't preach it. Can't publish it because it's not time yet. Did he see it? Yes, he saw it. Through the bunch of the revelations given to him, there was a messenger of Satan to buffet him unless he be exalted above measure. He saw that man caught to God too strong. He saw that man caught up to the third heaven. That was not Paul. Somebody said, well, that's Paul. No, it wasn't. Paul said, such a man while glory in. That what man? He said, a man caught up to the third heaven. Such as one in the body or out of the body, I could not tell. Couldn't tell who it was or what it was. But he knew this man saw things unlawful for a man to speak. That's the reason Paul couldn't speak about the cherubim then. Covering and shadowing the mercy seat. And he said it was unlawful for this man to speak there. And he saw these things, revelation of these things. Then John declared it for us. In Revelation 4.1, there was a door open in heaven. The heaven. And that door opened and a voice of a trumpet talking with him saying, come up hither. It wasn't a cornet, flute, harp, sackbook, sultry, or dulcimer. It was not as the worldly churches in Daniel 3, verse 5, 10, and 15 of these deluded ministry voices of Jesus. But it was a true clarion voice of the trumpet. How long will you make me hear the sound of the trumpet? The alarm of war. Not come to send peace, but rather a sword. How long will you make me hear the sound of the trumpet and the alarm of war? The sword. And John saw it. Said that door was open in heaven, a voice of a trumpet talking with me, saying, come up hither and I will show you things that will come to pass hereafter. Those things are the things of faith. It's a testimony of Jesus. It's the spirit of prophecy to understand the words of the book of this prophecy, which is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Where are we now? Well, we're addressing those cherubim now because uh, we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image, not knowledge in part, because God has shown forth his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power might be of God, not of ourselves, for the Lord is that spirit. The revelation there, Jesus is that spirit. He's the Lord. Now, from that, we don't stop there. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. What liberty into these things? What things? The things of faith. We're to go and enter in and grow up in him in all things. In all truth, so that we're not tossed to and fro by everyone in the doctrine and through this measure of faith to every part. Every member in particular is compacted together. 
for the bones to have what? The bones come together in joint, and it's through the joint, joining in the body of Christ into one, being compacted together by the Lord himself, gathering all things together in one in Christ Jesus. As we see the oak to the tribes in the last day of Joseph, two horns that will push the people together in one, just as Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, make them one. That same glory that you gave me, that same glory I give unto them. And that coming together in one for the edifying, building up of the body of Christ in one. Edifying of the body of Christ of itself in love, yes. Because faith worketh by love. Charity is not just love, but it's a love for God and based in doing his will. Finding the will of God in your particular place, your particular administration, that metron or measure of faith he's given you to find out your perfect will of God where he wants you in the body of Christ, then he will join it together through the effectual working of the Holy Ghost. And by doing that, the devil can't get into it because it is one. The cherubim are the focus there. The cherubim of glory. Those are the two witnesses. The two olive trees. The two olive trees are the cherubim. You'll see in 1 Kings 6.23. Make two cherubim out of olive wood. The two olive trees. They're 10 cubits high. Now, it's very important we take a look at that and what they're doing. Now, it's 10 by 10 by 20. 20 cubits wide in the most holy place, the holiest of all. And the one, they have their wings extended. Five cubits to one cherub and to another, five cubits to the other cherub. And then that cherub touches the other wing of that cherub in one, in agreement, one, 100% in agreement, and then touches the wall of the cedar work overlaid with gold now why is that important the shadowing the mercy seat because now it's touched the walls it's touched the walls of truth the walls of salvation and what are the walls we have engraven in the cedar work in first king six we're going to see that there are engraven an engraving of cherubim and the walls the cedar work, engraving of palm trees, and open fruit. Now, that's the fruit harvest. It is not the Pentecostal harvest of corn. The summer, summer harvest of corn harvest is wheat and barley. That happened on the day of Pentecost. Thank God for it. But now we're coming into that last season harvest of God, which is the fruit harvest. And it's open fruit on the walls of cedar. What is the fruit harvest of oil and wine? And it's very important that we see in that black horse and that rider, he had a pair of balances in his hand. And it said, and we're going, we're going to be in the balance. We're going to be literally tried and weighed in the balance. And we're weighed in that balance of the truth that we have. And that's the chariot. The chariot is the Logos. 
the word that we have in our vessel to that oil of truth. And the Holy Ghost is the fire that lights it. The chariot is that logos, the oil of truth that we have. But it can't be alone. We can have plenty of truth, but until we obey and have the life of it, which is the horse, the horse is the life of the chariot, which is, is not only the truth of the word of God, the chariot, but it's pulled in the life, the rhema word. The, lo, the logos by itself has got to have a rhema. You see, when you take a look at the man, the warrior of Jesus, the soldiers of the cross, they have the breastplate of righteousness. They have a helmet of salvation. They have loins of truth. That loins, gird about the loins, gird about with the loins of truth, that is logos. The loins are what you stand on. That is the, the power in that body of Christ is the logos, the word. Logos. And the feet shot, shot with preparation of the gospel feast. Above all, taking the shield of faith whereby you can quench all the fiery darts of Satan. And then take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's rhema. It's not logos. The logos is your cherry. That's your loins. Your only offensive weapon is knowing how, when, and how to use that sword, which is the rhema, which is obedience to that word of God, that logos, that through the Christ in you, the hope of glory. Know how to wield your sword in truth, in righteousness, not holding the truth in unrighteousness, but in righteousness, in the leading of the Holy Ghost, in doing the will of God. By that cherubim, Touching one another, that means that they're in one mind and one accord, not jostling one against another. They're in agreement. Touching one another. The wings touching uh, that five cubit wingspan for one wing. His other wing is five cubits. That's ten cubits. Touching the other wing of the cherub, five cubits, and then touching the wall. What do both of them touch? The witnesses. The two witnesses agree on the walls of salvation the not only the the pentecostal work they've already been through that they've already had the the corn harvest there of wheat and barley but they have gone on into the fruit harvest and there's the open fruit that's engraved on the wall of cedar but that's not all they have and palm trees engraved on that wall, which was indicative of them coming out of Egypt on the housetop and a commemorative of the memorial of the great deliverance out of Egypt. On the housetop in the seventh month, it is observed in the Feast of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. But it has something else there. So we're nowhere in the fruit harvest of oil and wine. And somebody says, well, what does, that, what does that mean? Well, it means that on that black horse rider, a measure of wheat for a penny. That wheat is the Pentecostal harvest, the wheat. And a measure of wheat, that's a measure of truth, a measure of faith for a penny. We have to, we have to receive that faith. 
the measure of that faith for a penny. That's Pentecost. There's wave she lifted up with leaven before the Lord. So we've taken and received the Holy Ghost. But then three measures of barley for a penny. Well, barley and wheat are the corn harvest and that summer harvest and that summer threshing floor is that barley harvest. There's three there. What are they? They're the three feasts of Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of first, first Fruits. We must make sure that we have each of those covered and a measure of wheat for a penny, the three measures of barley for a penny, buy the truth and sell it not. That's the measure, which is a man's uh, labor for that day. And we can say for the day of the Lord, and that is a penny. And that is feast of Passover, feast of unleavened bread, and first of, feast of first fruits. That's a barley harvest. And that's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. How did we get into it? Well, at the feast of Passover, repent. Of course, we have to have a genuine repentance. Number two, buried with Jesus in baptism. That's a feast of uh, unleavened bread. We, we are buried with him in baptism. And then three, that's feast of first fruits. We're raised with Jesus uh, as a new creature because the body that sins of the flesh are destroyed by baptism, born of the water. So if a person hasn't done that, they must purchase that. They have to buy that truth. And that is that reason why it's a measure of wheat for a penny. If you haven't received the Holy Ghost, receive it. And three measures of barley for a penny. And that is repent, baptize in the name of Jesus Christ, raise in the news of life. Now, assuming you've done that, then it says, but hurt not the oil and the wine. What is that? Fruit harvest. They've already come in the body of Christ have already come in and don't hurt them in revelation. The ninth chapter under the fifth trumpet, we find that the locust as, as it was in the days of Noah, the waters were up on the waters for five months or 150 days. The waters were there and prevailed upon the earth for 150 days. We find it in the end of Genesis, but we also see that the locust plague is for five months, exactly five prophetic months or 150 days. Exactly the same as it was in the days of Noah. So shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. The locust plague to hurt only those men that have not the seal of God in their forehead. What is that? They have touched the walls of the palm trees and the open fruit. They're in the open fruit harvest. That's the reason the open fruit harvest, you do not hurt the oil and the wine. That's on the walls that they have touched, they have received it. And they're in the unity of the faith with the other brother, the two witnesses, the two cherubim of glory, which are the two candlesticks. That's Revelation 11 that God will use for the work of the ministry. Well, there's three things on that wall that are engraving. It's engraving work. That's a seal, which has three components. Number one, the cherubim of glory. They understand the work of restoration. The cherubim Whenever we see the cherubim of the chariots of God, and we see in the Elijah ministry, whenever Elijah's going over, and as he passes over, finally the Jordan River, Elijah's following him. Elijah, Elohim, is Jehovah. It's a one God message. There's no Trinity. 
no binary or two-ness, no oneness is going to get into this. We have to obey the truth and hit the mark. It's a Jesus-only doctrine, the blessed and only potentate who only hath immortality. Well, the cherubim are touching that wall. Cherubim, those are the chariots of God. To see that, the ministry of Elijah, you have to believe it, appropriate it in faith, obtain it in faith, believe it in faith, receive it in faith. And that is, Elijah told Elisha, God is salvation, Elohim is salvation. Elisha. You ask a hard thing, but if you see, if you have the revelation of it, if you see me go up, if you understand how Elijah will truly first come and restore all things, if you see it, Elijah said, if you see me go up, you'll have what you say, a double portion. Well, when the chariot came and took Elijah up by a whirlwind in heaven, Elisha said, my father, my father. He didn't say my baby or my little child or my young man. My father, my father. There's your two witnesses. My father, my father. That's the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Well, what is that? That's the two cherubim of the witnesses here in the most holy place, which are the candlesticks, which is a church in a higher level of glory that have obtained like measure of faith that was once delivered to the saints that is now present truth, the preceding word of God. And as they touch that wall, the cherubim of glory, the first thing they see is the cherubim. They have to see that. They have to understand that they are given power, the two anointed ones, the two servants of God, and they will be the two witnesses there in Revelation 11, the cherubim. That's the chariot of God. So what did Elisha see? Elisha saw Elijah, the work of Elijah, the restoration ministry, the restitution of all things, for the heavens must receive Jesus till the times of the restitution or restoration of all things. Until it is, he's not coming. Acts 3, 20 and 21. So what did he see? He saw the cherubim. He saw the chariot. He said, my father, my father. He understood the full measure of the statue of Jesus Christ for going from newborn babes to little children to young men to fathers. And the fathers are the ones that have the ceiling. Only those. Not the ones sitting in church and Maybe they're just newborn babies, or maybe they've come to children. Little children, they know that he's the father. Still will not receive. Young men, they've overcome the wicked one. No, they have to see that work of the ministry. They have to see that word that was with God from the beginning, which is God, which is now going to be manifest. And when they do, he said, my father, my father, full grown, growing up into Jesus and all things. These are the ones, my father, my father. The chariots of Israel. That's a cherubim. The chariots. The truth of the word of God has come and is lifted up. My father, my father. The chariots of Israel. And not only that, and the horsemen thereof. The people of God that in the body of Christ, in the edifying of himself in love, will proclamate and publish this gospel to all kings, uh, nations, tongues, to the world. We find that in John, John forerun, John the Baptist forerun Jesus' first coming in the spirit of Elijah, but did not do mighty miracles there, there at the first coming of Jesus. But we find John, the body of Christ, after they've eaten that little book, 
They understand, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel, the horsemen thereof. They understand the cherubim. They understand the candlesticks. They understand the work of the ministry. And they say, my father, my father, coming to the full measure of the statue of Jesus, the chariots of Israel, the full word of God and the oil and the lamp, and the horsemen thereof, the rhema, the obedience to the word of God. They will be the ones used for the work of the ministry, preaching the everlasting gospel to all the world for witness to all nations, and then the end will come. None else will. They will be the ones that will be vessels meet for the master's use. And they've attained that faith, not through their own selves, but through obedience unto the leading of the Holy Ghost. It's all through, by, and in the Holy Ghost, Christ himself. We can have nothing that's transit that it's, that it's due to us. All, of, all we do is obey. The leading of the Holy Ghost, he does the rest. And there, touching that wall, the first thing is it's cherubim or the carved, engraven, seal work of cherubim. That's part of that seal. It's, yes, but yes, that is an essential element of it. And then we see palm trees. It's Sukkoth. It's not, it's not Pentecost. It's tabernacles. It's a higher season. That's the palm trees. And they're engraved in a wall. And open flowers. What's that? That's the fruit harvest of oil and wine. Open flowers. Full blossoming truth. Well, they touch the wall. And the two witnesses touch that truth of the cedar work. And that cedar is overlaid with gold, which is the glory of God. That's what God's doing now. So the cherubim of glory, back then in the Pentecostal realm, Paul said, well, that tabernacle having a worldly sanctuary, but with a divine service that the cherubim shadowing the mercy seat, covering the mercy seat. Why? Because now the glory of the Lord has come off the threshold of the house and is now seen over the cherubim. We see it in Ezekiel. We'll talk about that in another broadcast podcast that will come to you. Well, maybe that's what God's doing now. It's not just ankle-deep water we're going on now. Now, I realize that we're talking about the millennial there, and we talk about ankle-knee-deep, uh, water to the loins, and then waters to swim in. But in this realm, we're coming to the knowledge of the, of the fullness of Jesus Christ. In this church age, it's not in the sweet by and by. We're not seeing through a glass darkly now. For God has shown forth his glory in the face of Jesus Christ, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power might be of God and not of ourselves. The Lord is that spirit. We have to understand, first of all, that Jesus is the Lord who is that spirit, the Father of glory, the Word, the Holy Ghost. He is the Lord Jehovah God Almighty. Then when we understand that, then there's liberty given to us. For what? Well, we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. Perfection. Growing up in him in all things. So that we're not tossed to and fro by everyone to doctrine. And we grow up in him in all things. We all with open face beholdings in the glass now, the glory of the Lord, the full glory of the Lord, are changed into the exact same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The cherubim, 
Those are the ones that have made themselves through obedience unto righteousness, unto holiness, that have done the will of God, and that's holiness that is required to be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And all the ones that did not do the will of God, even though they worked miracles, even though they prophesied in his name, even though they cast out devils in his name, did not do the will of God. It is essential, critical that we do the will of God. Well, let this be a, a word to those that are wise that we are stir ourselves up because God's doing it now. Now, if that word has bore witness with your spirit, we would love to hear from you. And you could call me, leave a message. I'd be glad to, and honored to get back with you. God's putting his body together now in the unity of the faith. My country code is one plus area code 903-746-4885. Or you can write to me, Dennis Beard, Post Office Box 2906, Longview, Texas, zip code 75606. Or you can message us over the websites, feelinggodspeople.org, feelinggodspeople.com, or dennisbeard.org. Thank you for your prayerful support and your generous offerings. We're about to keep the podcast coming to you. Until the next time, this is Brother Dennis Beard saying, Behold the real Jesus.